Well, good morning. Welcome. Thanks for being together uh, as a church and uh, excited that uh, you've been taking the time to come. Uh, I know summers can get busy and I know a lot of you have been traveling and so glad you're home safe and a lot of a lot of camps have taken place and just a lot of things going on and so thank you for taking the time to come and be together as the body of Christ this morning. Last Sunday we went through a, a lengthy section of scripture and mostly that was because that was my fault. I gave Todd the wrong section of verses, uh, meaning I gave him, like, I jumped a section, and so we, together, we kind of went back, and he filled in. He did a great job of doing all that. So we're actually a week ahead of, of finishing up uh, Mark, and so we are today in another lengthy section of Scripture, but this was actually planned. So just be ready for that. Mark chapter 14. As we look at today's verses, starting in Mark chapter 14, verse 43, the title of the message is Betrayal and Abandonment. And I think sometimes in life, we, we think we have it pretty hard when it comes to relationships, friendships, friendships that may have been close at one time and are no longer. And we wonder what, what happened, what, what went wrong, uh, what, why, what's, what's wrong with me. Maybe we, we try to have close friendships and it just, they don't seem to pan out. And, and maybe there's times where you are needing a, a friend, maybe even a church friend, and it seems like this would be the best time to have a friend and there's no one there. And it's a struggle at times. Um, if you're like me, uh, I, I, I have a lot of people in my house, and so uh, it, there's outside relationships. It, 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 it's an effort. You have, to, you have to work at those extra efforts, those extra relationships, and make that extra effort. And so when it comes to friendships and relationships, even within the church or outside of the church, there's times where we really struggle. We feel like we're, we're being let down. And, and I think, though, this morning, if you're to look and compare all those things in your life, to what Jesus went through, I, I think we would uh, maybe think we have it pretty good. Because here's Jesus. He's in the last week of his life. He's in a critical stage, a critical, critical point in his life. He knows the cross is coming. And as he's heading towards the cross, some of his closest friendships, his closest relationships, betray and abandon him. And as we go through this narrative this morning, this section of Scripture, we see where Judas betrays Jesus. And we see the other disciples abandon Jesus. And we see the religious leaders rejecting Jesus. And we see Peter denying Jesus. And the sad reality of what we see in these verses this morning is the reality that for many of us, this has taken place in our lives where we too have betrayed or abandoned Jesus. And, and even though we have abandoned Jesus, He refuses to abandon us. And once again, we're in the last week of Jesus' life, and in, in some ways it's, it's still hard for me to, to wrap my mind around, to really understand how someone could be so religious on the Sunday of that week, and yet by that Friday of that week, be so rebellious. To, be, to go from being so religious to being so rebellious. 
until I look at my own life. And then maybe it's a little bit easier to understand. Because how many times have you or I said one thing on Sunday morning and by Friday night it's a completely different story. We, we're saying something completely different. You see, we've all betrayed and abandoned Jesus at some point. And I wonder, how do we, are we still in that cycle? Or have we come out of that cycle? And, and what does it look like as we look at these verses? Again, a lengthy passage this morning. Are, are we being convicted about what's taking place in these verses? Are we being convicted in our own life about our own betrayal and abandonment? But beyond that this morning, I pray that we see the truth that Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning we are humbled to gather in your presence. We open your word and we pray that your Holy Spirit that is here with us, that the Holy Spirit will guide and direct our thoughts and our understanding of your word. Father, may you speak boldly into our lives and may we hear from you this morning. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. If you are willing and able this morning, uh, we're going to read a lot of verses, starting in verse 43 of chapter 14. Will you stand with me if you're willing and able? And uh, we're going to read all the way down through verse 72. So I would encourage you to read along. That helps you stay aware. It'll be up on the screen as far as I know. Here we go, verse 43. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, elders, and teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple and in three days will build another, not made by man. Yet even then their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again the high priest asked him, 
Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists and said, Prophesy! And the guards took him and beat him. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, he, she looked closely at him. You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. You may be seated. Now I'm sure we could all think of probably the worst week that we've ever had in our lives. That week that maybe we got a, a terrible uh, word from the doctor Maybe someone in our family has cancer. Maybe we are facing some, some health concerns. Maybe you got in a car wreck or, or maybe you lost a job. There's these weeks in our lives that we can look back on and think, man, that is probably the worst week that I've ever had to face in my life. Well, guess what? Once again, Jesus has gone through worse. See, Jesus was living a perfect life. He lived a perfect life and he was investing in these men that he had called, men that he trusted in, men that he cared deeply about, that he loved, and when he needed them the most, they betrayed and abandoned him. Can we even really begin to, to understand the emotions that Jesus is dealing with in this moment? And so as we look at these verses there's three things that it, three sections I kind of want to break these verses down into. Jesus arrested, Jesus revealed, and Peter's denial. And my hope as we look at these verses is that we reevaluate where we're at with our relationship with Jesus. And so Jesus arrested, Mark 14, 43 through 52. As you look at these verses, do you notice that there's no charges being made with this arrest? They just go and arrest him. No charges being made. It happens at night. And again, you think about this, this trial that begins to take place. When do they have trials at night? You know, and, and yet, we look at these verses and we see that they knew that this wasn't right. 
And so they had to have it happen at night, so very few people are watching. It's in the dark. And if you see verse 43, it says, Just as, we, just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. One of the twelve apostles. He, he was one of the chosen, right? He was close, a very close disciple. And as, he, as you read through these verses, to add insult to injury, Judas uses a, a common greeting at this time, a, a common greeting between friends, which was a kiss. And as I did a little research in the culture of first century Israel, a, a kiss was not always a romantic expression of love. Rather, a kiss on the cheek was a common greeting, a sign of deep respect, honor, and brotherly love. And can you imagine how Jesus' heart must have broke when Judas comes and offers this greeting of respect and love and honor, how his heart must have broken. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about my own life. How does Jesus' heart, how must his heart break when I betray him, when I give in to sin in my life? See, I think Judas was struggling with something here. Judas was struggling with this fact that he never really made Jesus the Lord of his life. And I think we can see that there in verse 45 where Judas calls Jesus rabbi. And again, we know rabbi to mean teacher, which Jesus was. He, he was the teacher. But I, I think what Judas was missing was the fact that these other apostles were calling Jesus Lord. And Judas just kept calling Jesus rabbi. And I wonder, is that you this morning? When you look to Jesus and your relationship with him, do you, do you see just a good friend? Do you see a, a good teacher? But uh, I, don't, I don't really want to make him my Lord. I don't want to surrender my life to him. I, I just want to call him rabbi. And yet, there's a big difference between mentor and master do you realize that we like mentors they can help us out we like to be mentors to other people and mentors are, are a good thing but there's a huge difference between a mentor and a master and so judas betrays jesus for 30 pieces of silver Judas betrays Jesus because the material things of this life were more important to him. And I wonder again in my own life, am I willing to betray Jesus for the, the material things of this life? What's most, what's most important in my life this morning? As we read on in verse 47, we find from the gospel according to John... John's account that this person that drew his sword and, and struck the servant of the high priest was none other than Peter. And some of you are thinking that, yeah, all right, way to go, Peter. Way, way to stand up. Way, way to fight. Way to go, Peter. Way, way, to, way to be a, a, a believer and a follower of Jesus that's willing to fight. And, and I would agree with that to a certain extent. 
But one of the funny things that I see here is, is Peter wasn't really well equipped to fight in this moment, right? You know, I, I'm guessing he was trying to take the servant's, like, head off. And what did he end up with? Just the ear, right? I mean, he, he just kind of went in. He was just, he, he didn't know what he was doing. He was just, he's kind of flailing. And, and I think about how what Jesus did in that moment. Again, m- maybe not here in Mark's account, but in John's. And we see Jesus reaching down. And he grabs the servant's ear and miraculously heals. Because I think sometimes in our lives we do what Peter did there. We, we want to we get ahead of Jesus. See, I, I think Peter had good intentions, but he thought he needed to take matters into his own hands, right? He needs to be the one that, that fights for Jesus and stands up for Jesus and does something for Jesus that Jesus didn't want to do. Jesus wasn't there to fight. See, sometimes we want things in our lives that God doesn't necessarily want for us. I think about like winning the lottery. I always think it'd be like, God, come on, let me win the lottery, right? Well, I'd have to probably play first, but it, wouldn't it be awesome to win $50 million? All the good things that we could do for God and his church and, and the kingdom around the world and And yet I still haven't won $50 million in the lottery because God's plans are different than my plans. God's thoughts are higher than my thoughts. You see, Jesus knew that he needed to be arrested. Jesus knew that he needed to be arrested so that he could go to the cross. And our plans aren't always God's plans. And because Jesus' plan was different, verse 50 says, Then everyone deserted him. And fled. And I was thinking about that. It, at church camp, we do a lot of memorization, and the kids are always looking for the shortest verses to memorize. You know, Jesus wept. I got that one down, right? Well, here's another pretty short one. Then everyone deserted him and fled. Man, what a convicting verse to memorize. Is that me? I, am I one of those that would have fled? When life goes a direction that I didn't plan for it to go in, when my plans don't line up with God's plans, do I run from God? Or as we sang about this morning, do we run to God? Run to the Father. Verse 51 and 52 seems a little out of place, doesn't it? A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus when they seized him. He fled naked, leaving his garments behind. Let's just throw that in there, Mark, right? Let's just, I think he's just saying, hey, you guys paying attention? Let's see what, are you paying it? You know, I'm throwing this in there. And, and as I did a little study, of course, most commentators would say that, and I would agree with, that Mark is the writer. John Mark is the writer of the Gospel of Mark. And, and this is something that would often be, take place with a lot of writers of different books in the Bible. Mark is leaving a context clue to the readers that he is the writer. He knew some details there. In fact, the details had to do with himself. And I would agree with all that. But beyond that, I I would see something here that is a representation of what he's talking about here. Jesus is being confronted. He's being arrested. And and what is his followers, what are they doing? It says, everyone deserted him and fled. And Mark is no different. In fact, 
Mark is, I think, kind of calling his younger self out here. He said, back then, this is what I did. When I was younger, I had a chance to stand up for my relationship with Jesus. But this is what I did. I fled naked in this garden, leaving my garments behind. And I, I think it's, it's amazing to, to kind of read that through and to put ourselves in that moment. Mark was willing to be embarrassed and ashamed and run naked through a garden rather than stand firm next to Jesus. Do you see that? Mark, one of the disciples of Jesus, is running away from God in his shame and guilt. And I wonder, how often do we do the very same thing? We, as his disciples, running away from God in our shame and in our guilt. And I pray that that's not who we want to be. That, that we want to see that change in our lives. And as we continue on in the narrative, verse 54 jumps out at me because I see myself and Peter at times, and especially in this moment where it says that Peter followed Jesus. How? Say it. At a distance, from a distance. And we've kind of talked about this before, but I think it's so telling. How often do we want to follow Jesus but from a distance, right? We, we want to be close enough to Jesus that if we have a troubles, if we, if we need help, that we can call out, Jesus, please help me. My, my marriage is in trouble. I'm having a tough time parenting. Uh, you know, my finances are, are ter- you know, I'm, I'm struggling and my health, and, and we want to be able to call out to Jesus. We want to be close enough to Jesus, but we want to follow at a distance because we don't want to be too close to this Messy, difficult, surrender yourself to Jesus, do what Jesus wants. We, we might have to be persecuted for my faith kind of relationship. We don't want to get too close to that. We, we don't want to be too committed. And I wonder this morning, are some of you following Jesus from a distance? You're willing to come to church services once a month? Maybe more, but you aren't really willing to let Jesus' teachings change your life. And I'm not saying that in a judgmental way. That's between you and God. Only you and God know that. But I, I wonder, what's the point? And I'm not trying to be rude, okay? And I'm not trying to come across as holier than thou because I struggle with this as myself. But what's the point? Why, why bother if that's the kind of relationship that we have with the creator of the universe, that we're just kind of, we got our toes in the water, right? We're not really willing to go all in. In Revelation, what does Jesus call us to? He calls us to be either hot or cold, right? To stop being lukewarm, to stop pretending. You have to make a decision. Are you going to be for Jesus? If you're not, then don't pretend to be. And so there's a lot that takes place here in Jesus' arrest, more than we even have time to cover this morning. But as you continue on in these verses, we see Jesus being revealed once again for who he really is. 
And that's so important because who he is impacts how we live. Who Jesus is impacts how we live. And so Jesus is revealed in verses 60 through 65. And in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, if you, if you spent time reading through Isaiah, it's a prophecy about Jesus. Isaiah 53, 7, it says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And if you notice in verse 60 and 61, it says, Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And in verse 62, Jesus says, I am. I am. It's just so amazing to me here in these verses because in the midst of everything, Jesus remains silent, which then causes the high priest to ask the question, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And again, Jesus responds, I am. And so the one thing that the religious leaders didn't want to admit to was the one thing that they ended up proclaiming. Which then Jesus responds to it, and he says, I am. Which would, of course, would have gotten them all riled up. Because we know from Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, speaking about Moses and, and the burning bush that wasn't burning up, and, and, and Moses asking, well, who do I say sent me? And God told Moses to tell Pharaoh, I am sent him. I am. Jesus says, I am. And then he goes on to refer to himself as the Son of Man, meaning the Messiah or the King that was prophesied in, in Daniel. See, Jesus is God. And he is King. And some of you here this morning, maybe you're not willing to accept that. Because if you accept that, then that means that you don't get to do what you want to do anymore. That, doesn't, that means you don't get to react the way that you want to react in certain situations. That means that you have to decide, is this what Jesus wants me to do or is this what I want to do? You see, making Jesus king and God of your life means that it's no longer you that lives, but it's Christ who lives in and through you. You see, you have to submit to his authority. You have to make that decision. And these religious leaders, they didn't want to do that. And I think too many Christians today aren't willing to do that. Because it's, it's lots easier to come on a Sunday morning, spend time with brothers and sisters in Christ, build relationships, go home. But it's difficult to do what Jesus calls us to do, which is to deny myself and take up my cross. Oh, Jesus, did you really mean that? Because that's a little harsh. That's a little, I'm making up words here, but that's going to that's gonna require that I have to commit more than I really want to. You mean, Jesus, I'm called to follow you, 
and actually be a fisher of men. You, you told me to do that in your word. We read that in chapter 1 of Mark. That was a long time ago, more than a year ago. You, you mean I have to do that? I'm supposed to be a disciple that makes other disciples, but Jesus, I don't really, I don't like doing that kind of stuff. That makes me uncomfortable. That makes me nervous. That means I'm going to have to, like, talk to someone. Guess what? That's what he calls you to do. Some would say, oh, I don't want to do that. Well, if you don't want to do that, that's between you and God. That's your choice. But once again, if you're not willing to make Jesus the Lord and the King of every aspect of your life, then what are you doing? And again, I'm not trying to be rude, but I'm just trying to be real. Like, what's the point? Why why are we pretending at times to have this strong relationship and yet we're not willing to go all in? Why even bother? And I think it's because a lot of times we want to be saved. We want to be saved from our sins so we don't go to hell. Well, guess what? That's only part of being a Christian. It is part of being a Christian to be saved from our sins. But you have to be allegiant to the one true king, the one true God. And that is what Jesus in these verses is getting at. The last two weeks of Nobiodat camp, middle school and high school week, the theme was allegiance. And they went through 16 chapters of Mark. All the while, this question kept coming up. Who are you allegiant to? What are you allegiant to? And I think it's a a question that we have to answer. Where do we place our allegiance? These religious leaders, they didn't want to place their allegiance with Jesus. Verse 63 says, The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? He asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophesy! And the guards took him and beat him. And in the midst of the betrayal and abandonment, Jesus begins to take the punishment that we deserve. We deserve to be spit on. We deserve to be punched. We deserve to be beaten for the sin that we've committed. And yet because of Jesus, our debt is paid. He took our punishment. See, Jesus didn't run away from the cross. In fact, Jesus ran to the cross because he loves each and every one of you this morning. He loves your family members. He loves your friends. He loves your co-workers. He loves everyone so much that he was willing to take all the unjust abuse and persecution and even though we have all betrayed and abandoned jesus he was still willing to endure the torture for you and for me even in the midst of peter's denial as we see in verses 65 through 72 jesus Remained faithful. And it's crazy to think about what these ver- verses really look like in verses 65 through 72. You see, here is Jesus 
master, rabbi, teacher, you know, friend of these disciples. And he's being spit on and he's being punched and he's being beaten. And what is Peter doing? He's warming himself by the fire. Because he can't catch a cold, right? He's got to be comfortable, right? And I wonder, you know, in our minds, we can't, we can't believe that Peter would do something like that. And yet it's a perfect picture of the church in 2022 that treats their relationship with Jesus at times. I think it's a, something that we have to really reevaluate in, in our, our own lives and in the, the, the life of the church because the church is to have a relationship that's based on sacrificial love of a Savior that, that calls us to no longer live for ourselves but to live for God. And yet I think we've changed it. We've kind of turned it upside down. We, we've changed it to what, what can we get out of this relationship? We, we come to church thinking, what can we get out of the church instead of what can we give? And we think of this idea of, you know, instead of how can my relationship with Jesus, how can I give to Jesus, it's how, how can Jesus make me co- more comfortable? How can I be warmed by the fire instead of standing up for what I claim to believe in? See, each one of us battle that desire to be comfortable and the willingness to stand in obedience next to the Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. There's that that tension in our lives our earthly desires versus who we are to be in the Spirit. Which one is it going to be? Are the things of this world more important than your eternal destination? And I pray with all my heart that you can emphatically say, no, my relationship with Jesus is the most important thing in my life. And many of you have probably read Kyle Eidelman's book, Not a Fan, and that's what he really tries to get across in that book are you going to be a follower of jesus or just a fan are you part of the crowd that is busy taking selfies with jesus you know on palm sunday and then when things turn for the worst by friday you're removing all your your social media posts and taking those pictures of you and jesus off there so that nobody knows that You're a friend of Jesus? In verse 67, one of the servant girls of the high priest looks at Peter and basically says, haven't I seen you with Jesus? Haven't I? Don't you hang out with Jesus? And I wonder, could someone say that about us? Could someone say that about you? Like, hey, don't you hang out with Jesus a lot? Aren't you kind of a, a Jesus freak? And I wonder what our response would be. Because Peter's was denial. Look at verse 68. He, he's trying to get out of there. And, and I wonder, how do you respond if someone calls you out about your faith in Jesus? 
Peter, he gets away. And in verse 69, the servant girl says again, well, this fellow is one of who does it say? Them. So it kind of changes a little bit. First she says, hey, didn't I see you with Jesus? And then she says, don't you hang out with them? And once again, Peter denies it. Not only does Peter deny any association with Jesus, but he now is denying any association with Jesus' followers, basically the church. Do people know that you are plugged into a body of believers? Do they know that you are someone that is a follower of Jesus that meets with other followers of Jesus? Maybe at Paradise Valley Christian Church. Do, do people know that about you in your life? Because I think it's easy to talk big and then not actually live it out. Because if you look back to chapter 14, verses 27 through 31, Jesus predicts Peter's denial, doesn't he? And what does Peter say in those verses? No way, Jesus! Even if all fall away, I will not. And I'm pretty sure there's exclamation points in there, right? Peter says, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Big promises. Very little follow through. Have you ever been there? I know I have. God... God, I'm going to do this for you. This year, God, it's all about you. I'm, I'm going all in. I'm going to spend time in your word. I'm going to spend time with your people. I'm going to do everything, God, that you want me to do. This is the year I'm going to get. I'm, I'm excited, God. Big promises, little follow through. Or, or maybe, God, I, I know that I've been messing up in this, but I'm never going to do this again, God. I'm never going to go in this situation. I'm never going to be hanging out. You know, I'm, that's it. I'm done, God. Big promises and little follow-through. But guess what? Just like Peter, we've all made those promises and we've all fallen short. And it doesn't matter how committed or emphatic you might have been making those promises. Scripture says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we all need God's grace and forgiveness. So as the praise team comes, I just want to remind us that we've all abandoned and and betrayed Jesus at one time or another. And yet Jesus is willing to say to each one of us, and and hear me when I say this. He, He says, you don't deserve forgiveness. You don't deserve eternal life with me in heaven. But this is what Jesus is saying to you. I'm offering it to you anyway. You might not deserve it, but Jesus is still offering it to you. He's saying, my grace is sufficient for you. And so if you need to accept God's grace 
and forgiveness this morning by going down into the watery grave of baptism, dying to your old self, to be raised in newness of life. Today is that day. The water's ready. It's always heated, okay? It's ready to go. If that's a decision you need to make, we'd invite you to come. If, you, if you're someone that just needs to get plugged in and make PV your church home, we'd invite you to come and, and to make that known this morning as well. If you just need someone to pray with you, we'd encourage you to come as well. Will you stand with us as we sing?